Hey, good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well this morning. Uh, my name's Todd. For those of you I don't know, I'm the lead pastor here, and so excited that you have chosen to worship with us this morning. Uh, glad that you're here. It's going to be a very different and interesting and hopefully extremely helpful uh, day for many of you. We are uh, in week five of a series that we've entitled, This Is My Family, and throughout this series, we have really been going to God's Word to find out what He says about family in general. And as a way of review, for those of you who may have missed uh, over these past few weeks, I just wanted to kind of bring you up to speed of where we have gone and where we are going to. Also, I want to let you know this morning, um, many of you uh, will often access our notes online. I want to encourage you to do that. There's a bibliography online that will reference a lot of the things that you're going to hear about today. And that's for you to go further. And so I want to encourage you on that. When you walked in, you received notes, and today they're blank. It's not because we don't have anything to say, all right? <laughs> uh, we wanted you to be able to take notes because I guarantee you wherever you are in your marriage, wherever you are in your family, there's going to be something that you hear today, I believe, uh, from God uh, that you can apply uh, to your life. And so I want to encourage you on that. Just a way of review, over these past few weeks, uh, in week one, we began with some foundational principles of what a family is supposed to be about. And we began with the idea that the centerpiece of the family is one man and one woman married for life or until, as we pastors say in, uh, message, in uh, uh, the uh, wedding ceremony, until death do you part. And we began with that whole concept. In week two, we took that even further and said, here are the roles in a God-designed uh, marriage for a husband and a wife, and also for the kids and for the students. And so we talked a little bit about that. Uh, we talked in week three specifically to those of you who uh, are in a blended family or maybe you're a single parent. We gave some principles uh, from God's word that can apply to you. And last week, if you were here, you heard uh, Cynthia and my story. We've been married for 18 years, and we shared some of the principles that have helped us through the years, and specifically some principles that helped us through some very dark days in our marriage. And so I hope that that has been an encouragement to you. Today, we kind of round the corner. Next week, I'll be uh, back uh, giving a message on the family of God. This is my family speaking about the church family and how it impacts the family at home and that sort of thing. So we're very excited about that. But today, um, we have a very special guest that is going to help me. Dr. Pierce and her husband, Tim, are here from the Atlanta, Georgia area. Uh, I've known Dr. Pierce for many years. Um, in my first pastoral job, her office, her counseling office, was right across the hall from my office. So I got a good education on how to counsel <laughs> during those years. Uh, so uh, she is here today, and we're very excited about it. She and her husband, Tim, have been here for a few days. Tim is an Ohio State Buckeye fan. Get it all out. Okay, there we go. That's enough. And I said in the first service, he's either fitting in very well or trying to fit in very well because he's wearing his Ohio State stuff all over Hilton Head, which is unfortunately very appropriate. So anyway, uh, so they're here today. I want to let you know about Dr. Pierce. Um, she is a licensed marriage and family therapist who's provided counseling full-time in a private practice since 1984. She's done extensive radio work, including co-hosting the Marriage and Family Today show 
on Moody Radio. She currently serves as an adjunct faculty at Liberty University, my alma mater, go Flames, anyway, in Lynchburg, Virginia, uh, and that's where we're going to be actually this week later, uh, also at Ridgemont University in Atlanta, Georgia. She's also a clinical supervisor to graduate students, and she has been a fellow with the American Association of Marriage and Family Therapy since 1984. We're glad to have you, Dr. Pierce, come on up here. Let's give her a warm welcome this morning. And I noted in the last service, and I'll note it again, you have a gentleman yes. of a husband who yes, assisted you is. up on stage. Yes, he is. He had good training. I wasn't the one that trained him, though, so <laughs> we'll make that clear. You just continued the training. That's exactly okay, right. Okay, got it. Okay, just to be clear. <laughs> Dr. Pierce, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank so you for having here. me. Um, it's great um, to join you guys. I, I, last time I saw Todd and Cynthia, they were in Kennesaw, Georgia, where we live still, and God called them to New York, and then God called y'all here. We're here. So that's great. Hilton Head Island, and we hope yes. you're liking the island. Yes, we are loving it. Love, <laughs> love, love your weather. That's <laughs> Very for good. sure. Last night, we had a workshop that um, Dr. Pierce led uh, for parents of teenagers, and um, since Cynthia and I have a nine-year-old, we decided we would get a little head, hopefully, of things, and um, right. we had 50 parents there last night, nearly. Yes. And, uh, so it's that a really was good great. group. Yeah. Really good group. Very lively group. Yes, they so were. Anyway, yes, it was fun. We had a. <laughs> they're we, in the trenches. They're in the trenches. That way. <laughs> and it's not always easy, is it? That's right. That's right. Our purpose today, we'd intended this from, from day one of this series. Um, rather than hearing another message, um, we wanted you to hear from some of our people, which we've done over these past few weeks. But I wanted you to hear from Dr. Pierce. Uh, you know, she's got a doctor on the front of her name. So with that brings. So much, you know, experience, Responsibility. Right? Responsibility. That's what it brings. <laughs> uh, so uh, we wanted you to hear from someone who day in and day out is helping people based on God's word um, get through some of the crisis in life. And the way that we designed this from day one was to get some questions from you all. And so you all submitted your questions. Um, I'm not going to surprise Diane this morning. Um, she's seen these questions and we've talked through them and that sort of thing. And so we wanted to dialogue in kind of a question and answer style format. And our goal today is really the underlying goal today is to point you to God's word to help you through some of these issues that many of you and many of us have faced in our lives. And so we're going to begin with a question that drives towards those of you who are single and dating. And so I want to jump right into these questions so we have plenty of time. Um, Dr. Pierce, the first question is this. The question that I have for God, this writer wrote, and I know he's the only true answer, is there really a husband out there for me? And then how do I know? And uh, so this is a question that obviously drives towards those who are single or dating. Let's yes, talk about that's that a great. Um, well, first of all, if you are single, I have to say that I believe that the healthiest marriages are those that involve two people that both have figured out what they're here for. And they have fully embraced God and what his design is for their life. And so if you take two individuals who are both on a path of serving God with all their mind, body, and soul, and then those two people meet and they cross paths, those are the healthier relationships as opposed to those who assume that getting married is going to give me my fulfillment. Hmm. 
My fulfillment actually comes in embracing the, the purpose that God created me for with the skill set that he's given me. That's great. Fantastic. So, so the goal would be then to focus on your own personal spiritual walk, your time with God. Yes. Um, and who you are in yes. Christ. And who God created you to be and the purpose for which he designed you for. Wow. Great, great advice for those who are single and dating. And I, I love the, the second part of that was, um, how do I know? What are some signs? And um, talk, talk maybe a little bit about okay. that if you would. One of the ways, one of the things that I try to encourage folks to do is to make sure that I am being prudent in how I manage my life. Oh. And what's going to happen is then my path is going to cross the path of someone else who is also as, as equally prudent in how they manage their life. So if you have two people that are attempting to do everything within their power to serve God wholeheartedly, then you're going to know that their moral compass and your moral compass is very, very similar. And that makes marriage a whole lot easier. That's good. Fantastic. Thank you very much. The next question I want to deal with is um, a little bit along the same lines, um, and this is a little bit uh, more geared towards single parents. And great question. When is a good time for a potential serious boyfriend to meet my daughter? Should I introduce him to her before I fall in love? That's a mm. great question. Yes, it is. And first of all, let me just say, if you're a single parent, my hat is off to you because yes. you're doing the job of two people. Yes. So, and I know that that is rough at times, and, it, and sometimes it can be overwhelming having to be the only one making decisions um, based on what's in the best interest of your children. And so in getting overwhelmed, first of all, I got to say, one person by themselves is just not enough to raise a child. One individual doesn't have enough strength. And that's why more than ever, you're going to need to depend on God's word for strength and for guidance. And this is where we figure out how to be prudent and what is prudence as we deal with things like this particular question. Um, and if you're looking at the possibility of starting to date and you haven't actually started dating someone yet, that is the best time to sit down and have a one-on-one -on -one with your child and let them know what your understanding of dating is and what you believe God has directed you to do as far as your own dating life. And give your child lots of reassurance that just because I'm going out on a date with a person does not necessarily mean they're going to become your step-parent. Mm -hmm. Because that's the first thing from a child's perspective that mm. they start to think of. Yeah. Is this person going to have control over me? That's mm. what it's going to come down to. Mm. Yeah. And so kids just need a lot of reassurance that you are not going to just arbitrarily choose somebody to marry um, and whatever the best offer is out there. And instead that you're going to go into that with a lot of prayer and you're going to get um, their feedback on what they think of that person. Um, so if you do have children and you are looking to date, I think the, the bottom line answer to this question would be to make sure that your children are aware of who you're dating before you fall in love. That's good. And do you think it's important even to have the conversation even before the dating begins, not talking about one specific person, but Correct. in general, the dating? Correct. Yeah. That way your child understands what your perspective is of the whole dating system. Yeah. And you mentioned something before that I think is really important is, is that our kids are going to follow our model of Absolutely. life in general. Absolutely, they are. So we have to remember um, whatever 
however I conduct myself when I'm out on dates, if my child sees me doing that, then most likely they're going to do the same mm. when they get to the dating age. Yeah. Wow. No pressure. <laughs> None at all. <laughs> they're always watching. They're Children always aren't. watching, aren't they? Always watching. Okay, a little transition to a parenting question, a little more broad, um, and, and it may be specific in some cases, but this can be applied to an ex-spouse, but I've also seen this, the answer to this question applied and the question applied um, to uh, a, a home, as we called the nuclear family a few weeks ago, we talked about that term. How do you, how do you combat an absent parent who undermines your authority or abuses their power? And I, an answer to that one, I have to come back to something that we had talked about earlier, and that is having prudent responses and making sure that my responses to my spouse or my children in regards to my spouse are driven more by prudence than they are by my emotional reaction to what my spouse is or is not doing. Mm. Oftentimes, we get into power struggles with our spouse or our ex regarding our children, and the only way to win in a power struggle, somebody has to lose and somebody has to win. So the best way to handle that is to defuse it. Mm -hmm. And when we diffuse a power struggle, then that means we're not going to be controlled by our emotional reaction in the moment. Oh, that's good. Wow. Diffuse that. Diffuse what is going on. Uh, the Bible says uh, to, when at all possible, live at peace with all men. And I think that includes the responsibility that we have, even in our homes or even with exes, to yes, do that as well. Ab absolutely. And diffusing a power struggle and... Any of you who have children know that what that power struggle feels like. It's like a tug of war. Um, if you got a rope and t one person is on each end, there's a tension in the rope as long as you're pulling back and forth. Oftentimes, conversations are like that. There's tension in the conversation because he says this, she says that, and we're constantly debating and going back and forth with one another. As the voices raise mm. and the intensity raises, then the other person matches it because they don't want to lose. Sure. The best way to diffuse that is drop the rope. Huh. Wow. Drop the rope. Drop the rope. Good thing to remember in the midst of that uh, conversation, that crisis. Um, moving on to questions about marriage. Uh, we wanted to spend a good bulk of our time here this morning talking about marriage uh, because we've heard a, a lot of questions about some of the things that we've talked about over these past few weeks. Here's the first question. I love this one. Um, how, simply, do I fix my spouse's character flaws? <laughs> you all just, are laughing. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> I just want to say I didn't ask this question, Cynthia. I did not ask this question. <laughs> Maybe Cynthia asked it. Maybe question. Cynthia asked it, yeah. How do you know? I've known Cynthia for yes, a while. Yes, you have. That's right. <laughs> Us women, we just have this thing about, um, gentlemen, we just have this thing about wanting to tweak you a little bit every <laughs> once in a while. Um, it, I know it looks like we're trying to control you. We really mean well. We really don't mean to try to keep you under our thumb. You I have promise. our best interest in mind. That's exactly okay, right. <laughs> we mean well. But serious, though, when, when oftentimes we look at our spouse and when we're first married, we're very in love. we got this chemical reaction, um, and there's lots of passion in it. And then you get married, and, and you 
and you have a few little conflicts and you know each other's shortcomings and you notice those little habits that just get to be just a little irritating, but you're in love, so you just kind of let it go and you overlook it because that's what you do when you're married, <laughs> because you love one another. And a few years down the road, what happens? You put children in the mix. <laughs> and all of a sudden, all those little habits become just huge boulders. They're not little specks anymore. They're these huge boulders. And you can't seem to look at your spouse without seeing that habit all the time. And oftentimes what happens then is in an effort to try to help our spouse, we will try to tell them what they need to change. Life would go so much better if you would do X, Y, or Z. Or if you would no longer talk like that, act like that, dress like that, eat like that. <laughs> need I go on? Um, I've been married 27 years, and yes, I've done all of those. Um, I've broken all the rules, okay, even though I had my degree and did this for a living before I got married. You would think that would have helped me. It didn't. Um, <laughs> I learned the most um, in helping couples probably from my own marriage. Um, so we got to recognize that it's the human side of us, our selfish side, just wants things our way. Yeah. Mm. That's the bottom line. Yeah. We just want to tweak and adjust and make things so that it's more comfortable for me. Yeah. The problem is when you get two people who are trying to do the same, it sets up a perpetual power struggle. Oh, uh, wow. We're back to the power struggle. I mean, yes, we are. Yes, drop the rope, right? Yes, yes drop, drop the, rope. the rope. That's great. Okay, so um, from one that's just direct, how do I fix my uh, spouse's character flaws, to how, a little more specific, how to resolve conflict in a way that promotes our connection. Last week, Cynthia and I shared that I want at all costs to pursue peace while she wants to work on the relationship. And uh, there is this idea that in most marriages, there's one person that just wants peace, and there's one person that wants to talk about all the hard stuff of life. But both have to be in communication about the hard stuff. Yes, Talk it's an ebb and a flow. It's an ebb and a flow, yep. And oftentimes, um, folks that want to keep the peace have a tendency to kind of shut down when there's a little bit of conflict. <laughs> but if we avoid that conflict all the time, then the relationship will never mature mm, past good. the current place that it's at. So that's why it's so important. And I think that God, in his sense of humor, draws... Um, people together who are a little bit opposite in that. You know, one that kind of wants to jump in and work on it and, and get the relationship to mature, and the other one that just wants to, you know, just love everybody. <laughs> Sorry. That's just me. be peaceful. <laughs> just be calm and peaceful. Let's just keep it light. Keep it light. <laughs> keep it light. That's good. I like that. Keep it light. Our, our pastor, the pastor that was a pastor of our church in Atlanta, Ike Reichert, he used to say, opposites attract, and then they attack. That's exactly and that's very right. true. That is exactly right. Yeah. Because then once you got the commitment and you know the person loves you, hey, <laughs> then I can do whatever I want, right? <laughs> that's not the way it's supposed to be. But uh, um, one of the first things that I always tell couples, and I think this is something that no matter how, what age you are, no matter what kind of relationship you're involved in, if you want to make your relationship um, more connected, then the thing you got to always remember is at all cost, protect dignity. We have to protect our spouse's dignity. If 
Todd had a hot dog before coming up here, and he dribbled mustard on his shirt. I could look at him and say, Todd, get it together. You got mustard all over you. What are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> Which has happened before, by the way. Okay, that's great. Um, <laughs> that doesn't really protect his dignity, does it, the way I said that. But if I said, hey, Todd, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I think you got a little mustard on your shirt, you know. It, it could be the size of Montana on his shirt, but if I said you got a little mustard on your shirt, then he's going to feel like I protected his dignity as I pointed out a flaw. Hmm. And part of loving one another is making sure that we know how in our communication that we're committed to protecting the dignity of the person that's on the receiving end and to always ask myself, how could I receive this? What would be the easiest way for my spouse to come to me and tell me, you know, you seem to have a short fuse lately. Mm. You seem to react with a lot of anger lately. What's going on? If he looks at me and he says, well, you're just angry all the time. I don't know what's going on with you. That's not really going to open me up and help me want to mm. be vulnerable with him and be humble about it. Mm. But the reality is we all have flaws. And God has called us to relationships. So if we all have flaws, God's called us to relationship, how then do we display biblical principles in those relationships as we resolve conflict? And that's how I came up with these five points. So the first one is the foundational one, and that is to protect dignity. Allow your spouse to save face at all costs. Protect their dignity. Number two would be to promote honesty. You want to create an environment where not only are you being willing, are you willing to be honest with your spouse, but you want to create an environment that if they come to you and they're honest with you, if you blow up each time that they're honest with you, that teaches them, get ready for battle. If I've got to be honest with her or him and I'm hard to get along with and I'm easily offended, is that going to promote honesty? Probably not. Probably not. That's good. So protecting dignity, promoting honesty, and pace yourself. Hmm. Always pace ourselves. Timing is everything. If I want to share something with you because we are friends and I want to share something with you that I think you might need to work on, I need to consider your dignity and how do I be honest before I open my mouth hmm. and not let my emotions run the pace of my mouth. And sometimes the best way to do that is to get a little time out, think about it, pray about it, and ask God to show you the right words to say that protects your dignity as well as is being completely honest with you. So we have to pace ourselves. The fourth is to pursue only those battles that are necessary. If it irritates me that my husband likes Ohio State, and wears red all the time. It irritates me, too, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> if it irritates me, I, I got to look at it and go, you know, I don't really like the color red. What is up with all this red? Red shirts every day. How many red shirts does one man need? <laughs> he, he needs a lot, by the way. Um, but I'm just saying. But if I pick on that, is that really a battle mm. that is worth point. hurting my connection over? It's a non-necessity. There's no moral implications to him wearing red. Mm -hmm. Unless you're a Michigan fan. 
<laughs> that's, <laughs> that's another story for another day. Um, we want to pursue the necessary battles, the battles that are necessary in order to mature the relationship and the connection. So we have to pick wisely. And then the last point is, and this is so very important, and I got to tell you, as we age, one of the things that I have noticed is that it's easy for me to voice more of the things that I would like to tweak or things that I'm sort of complaining about and I'm sort of whining about things. Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed with your parents maybe? The older they got, it seemed like there were more negative things that they focused on in their conversation than there were the positives. So our fifth point is focus more on the positives than on the negatives. For everything that I say that is a correction that comes out of my mouth or a suggestion that somebody might want to think about doing something different in my family, I need to make sure there's twice as many positives coming out of my mouth as there are negatives. Because being positive promotes attachment. Mm. Who wants to attach and be vulnerable with somebody who has a negative outlook and always sees the negatives before they see the positives? Wow, that's good. Not many of us. Yeah. Being positive promotes connection. I like yes. that. That's really good. That's really yeah. good. Uh, the last question that we're going to spend our time on, um, I think probably applies to everyone who's in here, who's in either a, a dating relationship um, or has been or is married or has been. And, and that's this question. How do I build trust after it's been broken? Mm, good question. If you have been in a relationship for longer than probably six months to a year, you have been disappointed. It comes with the relationship because we're all human. Yeah. I am going to disappoint my husband. I have disappointed him many times. He's disappointed me. The thing that will help me to build back the trust when trust has been broken is to be in process of continually forgiving him for that disappointment or forgiving her for how she might have disappointed you. And there are things that we can all do to rebuild trust you know, there's different levels of broken trust. A person can break your trust because they didn't give you all of the information you wanted. They only gave you a piece of it. Uh, ladies, when we go shopping and our husbands <laughs> say, how much money did we spend? And we say, well, you know, I went to this one store and I got out of there and I didn't spend more than $50. And then we quickly get busy and move on to another subject. Not bothering to tell them about the second and third store I went into that spent $200. <laughs> because creative and, and being selective in the information that you give, that is a form of broken trust. Because there's a secret there, okay, that your spouse would prefer to know. Now, when we're trying to rebuild trust, there's basic, four basic rules that if we follow these, these rules will help us in developing our trust, maturing the trust, and getting it replaced. And oftentimes, it will cause the trust and the attachment to go deeper. So we have to keep in mind that if there are no challenges in our relationship and the person never disappoints me, the relationship isn't going to be very mature. Okay, The connection, you may be mature in your age, but the connection hasn't been through enough hard things to really develop and flush out some of those um, 
little flaws that we all have. So those four rules with the trust, number one, we try to live by a no surprises policy. No surprises. So in other words, if I'm going to, um, and, and I, hate, I hate to bring it into this, but the reality is in today's society with technology the way it is, we need to make sure that my spouse is aware of the connections that I have with the opposite sex. I don't want my husband hearing through the grapevine that he, they saw, somebody saw me at a restaurant somewhere meeting up with somebody, and then he asked me about it, and who, who were you with? He, he warrants full disclosure because he is my spouse. Somebody once said intimacy, a good way to, to remember how to uh, develop your intimacy in your marriage is to remember the, the phrase, into me. He's into me, I'm into him. That's part of intimacy. To protect that and to keep him into me and me into him, I have to make sure that we have full disclosure on things. Otherwise, he will lose interest. He won't be so into me because he will be guarded and cautious with me. So the no surprises policy paired along with keeping your partner in the know. So not selective information. Full information, full disclosure. So if I change my mind on something, if, if we have, an, an, a, let's say, an agreement, a conversation about my shopping trip coming up, and we agree that I'm going to go Christmas shopping and I'm going to keep it under $500. And let's say in the midst of shopping, I come up with a really great deal. And my problem is it's going to put me up to about $700. Does he deserve to know about that? He does. Because he's into me, and I'm into him, and we're partners. No secrets. Keeping my word is a huge factor. Even if what I'm keeping my word on is sticking to the budget on the shopping trip, taking out the trash, whatever it might be, if circumstances interfere with me keeping my word, then what I have to remember to do is to take responsibility for disclosing mm. to you I know I said I was going to do this, and I am so sorry, but time got away from me, and I, I ran out of time. Just be the one to lead that. Don't, let, don't put your spouse in a position to have to come chase you down and go, I thought you said you were going to take out the garbage. I thought you said you were going to keep it to $500 because that puts them in the driver's seat, and they're trying to gather information. It promotes intimacy if I'm the one that changed whatever I said I was going to do, if I changed it because of my circumstances or whatever, then I need to take the lead in that, in that conversation. So the no secrets policy, no surprises, keep my partner in the know, keep my word at all costs, and no secrets. Mm. There should be no um, compartments within your heart that are sequestered away because you just don't want to hurt them. You just don't want to irritate them, and you don't want to cause a fight, so I'll just keep that secret. Nobody needs to know. The problem with that is I know, God knows, and the enemy knows. And if the enemy can get you to keep that little corner of your heart sequestered away and convince you that, you know, it's just going to cause an argument, so you don't need to go there. You don't need to disclose that. What he doesn't know won't hurt him. Yes, it will. Because you know you have a secret. 
And that compartment, I guarantee you, will grow or eventually you will choose to disclose it, one or the other. Sequestering a part of our heart is what happens when we keep secrets. That is really good. Um, Talk to me just briefly, because I know you want to share a, a, a few things here at the end, but share with me briefly for those who have been on the side of trust has been broken and they've been hurt in this. Mm. Um, you mentioned forgiveness. Mm. Talk a little bit more about that. If they're in the position of being hurt by someone who's broken their trust, mm-hmm. um, how, do they, how do they get their mind and hearts around forgiving that person? Well, one of the things we have to remember is that the deeper the hurt goes, the longer the process of forgiveness. Mm. And whoever did the offending of the, of the trust, whoever broke the trust, it is your responsibility to put in place some guardrails that will help your partner begin to trust you again. It is whoever has been offended or hurt, it is their responsibility to take charge of their forgiveness. Whoever did the offending, it is your responsibility to set new guardrails to demonstrate that your word is worthy to be trusted again. And just saying that my word is worthy to be trusted does not warrant that because we just learned your word wasn't worthy in this situation. So you have to, if you've broken that trust, you have to put things in place that allows your partner to see evidence that your word is real and authentic. Wow. That forgiveness thing is such a hard thing. And any time that I'm struggling with that, I'm reminded of the forgiveness that God extended me through Jesus and his death on the cross for my salvation. And I think that's important for us to keep in mind uh, as Mm -hmm. we deal with some of these things. Mm -hmm. In closing, I did want to share with you, um, oftentimes many of us do not have an example that we can follow. Perhaps we were raised in a home and there were some patterns of maybe not talking about the problems. Or maybe you grew up in a home where there was no affection shown. Or maybe you grew up in a home that had a lot of anger expressed and all the emotions were always at a high level. Oftentimes, we can be in a situation where we have no frame of reference that is worthy to follow. Maybe your mentors weren't worthy to follow. Maybe your parents' footsteps and how they did marriage and how they did their family life. Maybe those footsteps are not worthy to follow. Um, Several years ago, there was a young girl who was born first child of 10, and this child was uh, placed up for adoption and then finally adopted at the age of five and a half, spent 10 years in that home, uh, and there was a lot of abuse in that home. She was abused in many different ways, and then at the age of 15 became a runaway. Now, she went on to be placed in a third family. By the time she was 20 years old, She had three frames of reference, three different families, and three different ways of doing things. So she didn't really have anything that was real solid and and grounded. Um, And so how can a person like that grow into becoming a young adult and get married and learn to do marriage in a way that honors God and become a parent in a way that honors God? When there is no frame of reference, there's no consistency in love, there's no consistent structure, there's only one way that that can happen, and that is through this. These words 
have become to me, I am that girl. I had three different homes, started out as an orphan, became an orphan again, got placed in the third home, had a pretty good example set for me in that third home. But by that time, I was 16. It was pretty late. The one constant has been this. The Our Father's words have become my parents' words. My relationship with Christ has become my relationship with a parent that has given me love and security. Through God's words, I discovered I was significant, I was secure, and I could be stable. But that's only because I've had to seek his face and the only way to do that is through these words. Wow. And it can bring healing. And folks, no matter what kind of woundedness you have in your past, no matter how deep the healing needs to go, these words will penetrate deeper than any wound that this world could mm. offer us. Mm. And I am living proof of that. And I will tell you, it hasn't been an easy 27 years of marriage, but we have had fun and we have both made each other mature and grow closer to him and closer to one another. And I believe that's God's design oh, yeah. for marriage. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, Dr. Pierce, thank you so much for sharing not only your wisdom, but a bit of your story. And uh, we're very appreciative of you being here today. Thank you so much. Dr. Pierce's story is uh, uh, contained in a book that she wrote, a little booklet here that she wrote, Deeply Wounded to Forever Grateful. And in it is also many of the scriptures that you clung to um, yes. throughout the years. And um, I want to encourage you to visit our guest service desk. She and Tim will be back there. Um, there there's only $10 a piece, and uh, you have a few left. I'm assuming. So I want to encourage you, if you're going through that hurt right now, or if you've been through it and you need a little more help, or it's on kind of the horizon, I want to encourage you to take advantage of her book and uh, many of the things that she mentioned this morning. Um, let's close today in a word of prayer. And as we do, I want to pray for many of you who are wounded and hurt, as she mentioned today, and many of the marriages that are on the brink of disaster as we close today. So would you bow? in a word of prayer this morning. Father God, I just thank you so much for your word. Um, God, I thank you for the salvation that we have in Jesus. God, many of us who have been through crisis in life, we could absolutely not have gotten through it without your word and the work of your Holy Spirit in our lives. And God, I pray today for those who have been wounded. Maybe someone has broken their trust and a relationship is kind of hanging in the balance. And God, maybe it's even difficult for them to trust you right now. I pray in the strong name of Jesus that your Holy Spirit would minister to them even right now. God, that you would help guard their hearts and repair what's been broken. And God, that they would seek you out and that they would seek your word out. Father, I pray for those in the room who are here today who are single. 
and they want to have a family that they call their own. And God, it may seem like it will never happen, but I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would guard their heart and guide their path and that they would pursue you rather than pursuing someone else. They would pursue you first before they pursue someone else. God, for those who are struggling and battling with knowing how to raise their kids, whether they're young or teenagers or maybe even adult children that are struggling, God, I pray that you would give them peace, that you would give them prudence and wisdom and discernment on how to do that. And God, specifically, I pray for marriages that are represented in this room that are on the verge of maybe falling apart or their stress fractures that may seem small now, but 10 years down the road could be huge chasms. God, I just pray that we would follow you and your word. And God, that we would be mindful of the fruit of the spirit that Paul wrote to the churches in the region of Galatia. I pray that these words would mark our relationships. He said this in Galatians 5, and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And Father, as we learn how to trust you in the midst of our relationship crisis, I pray that we would do our part and that we would operate with those things in mind. Help us, Father, when the waves seem high and the water seems deep and it seems like we can't get out. Help us to trust you. In Jesus' name I pray.